All right. I know it's hard to believe, but today is the third Sunday of Advent. I don't even know what happened to the first two weeks of Advent. I don't even feel like they occurred or even happened. I don't like, I don't really know what happened. When I realized it was the third Sunday of Advent, I was like, okay, well, so much for doing something important for Advent, but it's the third Sunday. Can't do anything about the first or second Sunday. So let's see what we can do today to try to uh, make this somewhat um, helpful and beneficial. So let's do this. First, write down the following word. Are you ready? I will spell it out for you. G-A-U-D-E-T-E. G-A-U-D-E-T-E. Gaudetti, I think is how it's typically pronounced. Gaudetti, Gaudetti. Uh, and it is a Latin word meaning rejoice. And it is called Gaudetti Sunday is what this is called in liturgical churches. And today, um, typically the, the uh, priest would be wearing vestments, some kind of a rose color, kind of a pinkish color. Um, and if you have an Advent wreath with candles... The third candle is a pink candle because this is a time of rejoicing, a time of joy. Historically, that was not the case. Remember, Advent was was much more a time of repentance, a time of considering our sins, preparing for the coming of Christ, and fasting and all kinds of other things. And a lot of joyous celebration was removed from the liturgy, right? You would not be saying things like hallelujah, hallelujah. Those things would be removed because it's a time of repentance and seeing your sin. So somewhere, I mean, we could go through the whole history, they, be, they decided somewhere in the, like kind of the middle of Advent, they would be like, okay, let's have a Sunday where we take a break from the repentance they take a break from that kind of thing to focus on rejoicing and to focus on joy. So that is a major focus of this particular day. Um, the third Sunday of Advent is known as Gaudete Sunday from the Latin word Gaudete, meaning rejoice. It's a time of joyful anticipation in the Advent season as we prepare for the coming of Christ. And then there's, we've already been talking about, I don't know if you remember, what were the basic principles we laid down for Advent? We've already been, co- we've been covering them now for the whole hope, preparation, what? Anticipation and joy, right? Okay, so we've covered some of those, have we not? Yes. What we have not covered, we have not covered preparation. We've not covered that. We should have covered that last Sunday, but we did not. That's, that's when we should have covered it, but we'll get back to it. We'll, we'll, we'll bring in that concept for maybe at the end of Advent or getting near Christmas. And then, so there's preparation, so we'll get to that. But obviously, one of the principles is joy, right? So what we're going to do today is we're going to, and I, I gave this as a Bible study exercise on the podcast, we're going to kind of do a mini Bible study exercise starting the first hour. I don't know if we'll finish it uh, the first hour. If not, we'll, it'll, it'll slide over into the second hour. But the whole day today is we're going to be dealing and doing kind of a mini Bible study exercise on the subject of rejoicing. Okay, we're going to do kind of a topical method. Uh, I was going to go thematic, but everyone has problems with thematic method because you have to come up with certain questions to ask of the theme 
but in topical, you don't have to. So we're going to do some of the basic steps of a topical method, all right? So that's what we're going to work on. Hopefully, it will be beneficial. But before we do that, for the first hour, let's at least consider all of the readings from the lectionary today. And I think you'll see the theme probably manifest itself a number of times. The first reading for this third Sunday of Advent comes from... Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61. So if everyone wants to turn there, Isaiah 61. I'm going to read it from the King James. I will also probably reference it or maybe look at it from the lectionary itself. Isaiah 61. And let's see what we can accomplish on this third Sunday of Advent. Everyone ready? Isaiah 61, the scriptures they give us are verses 1 through 2, and then they skip to verses 10 through 11, all right? Isaiah 61, let's start in verse 1 and 2. Here we go. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings. Circle the word good tidings, right? That maybe, I'm not saying it 100% may relate, but I'm interested in the phrase, all right? Unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord uh, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Do another thing for me. This I, I just thought of this. So, good tidings. Let's circle that or write that phrase down. And then I think it's interesting here. Opening of the prison to them that are bound. Now, I, I don't want to, we, we're going to try to focus on rejoicing, but I think we need to come back to that phrase at some point, okay? Because I think something interesting happens here. I won't get into it now, but just we need to think about that, all right? So, so he goes on to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, right? So that's verses one through two. Then they skip to... Verses 10 and 11, I will greatly rejoice. There we have it. I will greatly rejoice. Circle that. All right, so what do we have written down from the Isaiah passage? Good tidings, opening of the prison, and then rejoice. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My, uh, oh, we didn't want to write that down too, all right? Uh, we, we want to write down the word rejoice, but I think there's a key there, don't you? Rejoice in the Lord. I think we really want to grab onto that, all right? I, I, don't want to give, I don't want to give away too much because when we're doing a topical study, we don't want to bring in our presuppositions, but I cannot probably, I can't overstate the importance of that phrase, right? Uh, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful. There's another word we want to write down. But notice again, I will rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. You may want to, man, that whole verse, I can't probably... I can't overstate the importance of that verse. Verse 11, For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth for the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Right? There's so many phrases we could circle and outline. 
but we got the basic ones down, all right? This is one of those Sundays where that reading right there, man, we could, we could, <laughs> we could spend the rest of 2024 just on this chapter because there's so much going on there, but I, I will try to refrain from doing that. There's the first reading, all right? And typically, what's next? The response rule psalm, right? Okay. But notice, did you, did you look at the scripture for the, the supposed psalm here? No. For the psalm? It's for Luke 1. All right. Everybody see that? Now, typically, sometimes the response rule psalm, just so that you know, just I, I think you all know this, it doesn't always fit with the readings, right? It's kind of its own thing. It's really there for worship, right? Because you, when they do, if you've ever been into a liturgical church, the readings are read, correct? The psalm, what t- uh, it's usually done a couple of ways. It's sung, it can be chanted, and then the people do the responsive part, correct? Okay, it's part of the worship. And then, then you go back to the normal readings. But in this case, we have to look at this one. This is Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Yeah, I know. Because, and you know, the reason they don't, they just assume you, know, you should know this. Because it's basically used, this passage is used everywhere. The liturgy of the hours is used everywhere. So they just assume you should know it at this point, right? Right. They're like, you don't need to know the scripture. You should just be able to, <laughs> you should know it. Right. Luke 1, 46 through 48, which is just funny because Catholics are often viewed as people who don't know the Bible and they just view it as you know this so well, you don't even need the scripture reference. Okay. All right, here we go. Luke 1, we start in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. There's the phrase again. There's the word. But once again, we see that phrase, yes? Now, I, I don't want to give away too much, but I think we're getting into something here, right? Okay. All right. And uh, it says for... Uh, let's see. I don't want to skip any verses here because I'll just start reading it all. Uh, verse 48. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. All right. Now, that was a part of the Bible pop quiz that I did for a podcast I wanted everyone to focus on that. All right. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Okay? And if you've, if you've ever participated in the rosary, you know how the, these scriptures come into play a lot there. Okay? Then, uh, well, they want us to go ahead in 4950. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Then they want us to jump to verse 53. For he hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent uh, empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel and remembrance of his mercy. And I think that's it, right? Yes, that's it. All right. I always wanted to just read all of it, but they skip around. And they're skipping around because it's used more in a worshipful type way, all right? But we see the rejoicing again, do we not? All right. Now, the epistle reading is from where? First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 5. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting verse 16. Two words. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. Next, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Now, historically, oh, this could be a, this could be a good church history question. Does that, that pray without ceasing? There was a specific prayer historically that they think this is referencing. It's called the Jesus prayer. Do I, do I know that or no? Oh, okay. All right. Well, then we're going to have to. I, I, I was going to bring it this morning because I was like, I think, but I thought maybe you should know. All right. So then we'll have to talk. So someone remind me that we need to talk about the Jesus prayer, its origin, its history, because uh, it's used in a lot of liturgical churches because they believe it's actually the prayer that Paul had in mind here, right? So, and the Jesus prayer shows up in, well, uh, the rosary. So, so what we could get into, a, we can get a whole historical lesson going on here, but we won't right now, okay. But I have to take note to self that we need to talk about it. All right, next, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's... It is funny in that verse, in verse 18, when everyone wants to talk about the will of God, that's the, we always forget that right there, right? It literally tells you what the will of God is, which is, in everything give thanks. Everybody's like, well, no, I was, I was asking for something more specific, like where should I live, where should I move? You know, but no, that, that's, that's where God's will is clearly outlined there. Quench not the spirit, despise not, despise not prophecies, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, uh, and, uh, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Right? I'm formulating in my brain a way to put all of this together, but that's not our, 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 our mission here. Uh, then the gospel is John chapter 1. John chapter 1. See, I can't just read the readings. I always want to start teaching them, but all right, here we go. John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, Right? Uh, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Then it wants us to jump to verse 19. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem uh, to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou the, that prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said unto him, who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they were, and they which were uh, of the Pharisees, and they which were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, why baptize thou then if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. 
it is it he it is who cometh after me is preferred before me whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in uh, Bathabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. Now that's an interesting gospel reading, is it not? Yeah, I know. Like, I know the when I was reading that, my brain was going, okay, what would I do? With where would I put this one? I don't know where to, I don't know what I'd do. I have some ideas, but I don't have it completely linked together. Like, there, I've got some options. Because I do think John the Baptist is a part of it, because if you look at the first reading, that first reading to me is connected to John the Baptist. So you would think that's where you think they would go, but they went with this. All right. So we'll have to we'll have to talk about it in, in greater detail. All right. So those are the readings. Clearly, you can see in the first reading and the second reading, we definitely see rejoicing. And then in the Psalm or from Luke, we see clearly rejoicing. So we got three clear things that points us in that direction. That's what this Sunday is about. So that's what we're going to work on. So are, are we ready? So the first thing we need to do, if you have the Blue Letter Bible app or whichever app you use, uh, someone look up Rejoice, someone else look up Rejoicing. Right, we'll make sure we all have the different tenses of it and so that we can make sure we don't miss any verses. Who's got Rejoice? All right, Sarah's got Rejoice. Someone else want to get Rejoicing? All right. Any other variation we should use? Okay, good. That, that makes it manageable, right? That makes it manageable. Yeah, we want the whole Bible. Okay, all right, you get rejoiced, okay? We got rejoiced, rejoicing, rejoice. We only got 240. That's manageable, ladies and gentlemen. We should be able to be done with this in the next 30 minutes. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah, I put them all together. Oh, okay, good, 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 good. All right, that's awesome. Okay, we got them all. Okay, so here's what we want to do first. Remember when we worked our way through the Schofield Study Bible, we found this very important principle that some people think is the most important, not the most important principle, <laughs> but one of the top principles in hermeneutics? First and last. So what is the first reference where we read the word rejoice in some form? Rejoice, rejoicing, rejoiced, whatever. We have Exodus 18. Everyone feel good with that? Let's go to Exodus 18. Where does the verse show up? Verse 9. All right, so let's go to Exodus 18. We'll go straight to the verse. Now we'll try to figure out what's going on here. All right. So we'll first do a first and last. Exodus 18, verse 19. Or nine, I'm sorry, verse nine. See, numbers, that's what happens to me. All right, here we go. Exodus chapter 18, verse nine. And, Jeth- and Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he hath delivered out of the land uh, hand of the Egyptians. All right, what can we say about the first use of rejoiced, rejoicing in whatever form? What's the first, what's the thing we can say about rejoicing here? The rejoicing is connected to what God has done, an action of God. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? 
All right? What are the, what, what's good about it? Expression, right? Okay. All right. So y'all think it's a good thing because he's rejoicing on what God has done. All right. What's the possible very, very, very negative thing that can derive from that? If rejoicing is you're rejoicing on what God has done and action well, then you can see where your rejoicing may greatly be impacted because God's actions, especially if you're looking for certain actions, don't always act in the way in which you want him to. Well, it could be subjective, right? Right. Right, I'm saying like, if, if we connect rejoicing to what God does specifically for me, right? So if I connect rejoicing, you know, like, oh, I rejoice because I was sick and now I'm better and I'm going to say God made me better. All right, great, I'm rejoicing. But then you get a, a diagnosis of a terminal disease and God doesn't act to heal you. What happens to your rejoicing? Okay, you're not going to rejoice. You're now going to become bitter. That's, to me, that, that's, the, that's the dangerous part. If I find my rejoicing in God's actions, especially if I look for actions that are directedly towards me, which actions is he rejoicing over? This is Jethro, right? Who's, who's Jethro? Nobody knows who Jethro is? Okay, he's a priest. Anybody else know anything else about him? Okay, there, Moses' father. I was waiting for Moses' father-in-law. Okay, all right. So we have a little bit of who he is. Now, what's he praising or rejoicing God for, for, in God for? His goodness. For God has done Israel a very specific action where he delivered his people from bondage. All right. So that, that everyone likes that idea, but I'm just saying there's a great danger connected to that. Because sometimes God doesn't deliver you, right? I can name one person, John the Baptist, okay? Remember, he goes to prison. Remember that passage, that that thing in Isaiah about opening the prisons? He doesn't open the prison for John, okay? John gets carried out without a head, right? Okay, so I'm just saying rejoicing a lot of times uh, preachers will talk about rejoicing and say, here's what you need to do. Rejoice in the good things God does for you. Keep track. And, 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 and it, it sounds so good and everyone says, amen. But they forget the people who like, well, they're like, well, what, what am I rejoicing God for? My child's dead. This happened. This happened. What? And so then they're going to say, then there's no point in rejoicing. So I think that that's, I can see, I'm not saying it's wrong to rejoice in what God does for you. That's obviously a good thing. If rejoicing is based on that solely, I think we're in a whole lot of trouble. Right? We'll see, though, if Scripture always points us that direction or it points to something else. All right, what's the last reference of rejoicing in whatever form we find it? Revelation 19.7. Revelation 19.7. All right, here we go. Revelation 19.7. 
All right. I don't know if this offers any help, but we'll see. All right, Revelation 19, 7. Got to look at something. All right, yeah, there's, okay, there's a lot we could talk here. All right, uh, Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. All right, now, you, I, it's, I don't know what you want to do with this one. What, what do you want to do with this one? Still kind of connected to an action, is it not? Does it feel like it's connected to an action? Yeah. Now, the good thing, this action has more to do with God than us, but it's a, I think this one, I think this action has more to do with God's saving action, right? Now, in Exodus, you could say that's a picture of God's saving action, but it's, uh, it's more tangible it's more material it's more of this world this is not so much of this world this is more of a spiritual thing right does that kind of make sense so maybe this one's a little bit better all right so so we've got the first and the last right so and in a sense if we would put this together we rejoicing is what god does for us in the here and now and rejoicing also involves what god will do in the hereafter all right, possibly, right? Okay. I'm not saying that's perfect, but at least that gives us a basic idea. Now, let's do this. The first use, or the first word was, was it rejoiced, rejoicing? What's the first word in Exodus? Rejoiced. Okay, let's look up the Hebrew there. Because we need to now start formulating some definitions, all right? And we'll just go ahead and start with the definition since it's right there with the first use. Uh, and that was Revelation, or that was Exodus what? 18. 18. Let me see, I'm in the wrong chapter. I was like, this makes no sense. Okay, here we go. Let's go to the antilinear. Oh, wait, it just disappeared. All right. Where is it? Okay, I'm looking here in the interlinear. Oh, wait, I'm in the wrong verse. Okay, I was like, what is wrong? Here we go. And rejoice. It is this Hebrew word. Everybody ready? Strong's age 2302. Chada. 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 All right, Chada. It is used three times, so obviously this is not the most uh, prevalent one. Uh, it's, used, it's used three times. Strong's definition is rejoice, make glad, be joined, rejoice. Um, it's biblical usage, rejoice, to rejoice, to make glad. So we can say, well, you can write down uh, the word hada, H A D A, if you go to the transliteration, hada, and it means basically, let's just put down to make glad, to make glad, to make glad. That seems to emphasize what? The emotion of it, right? 
to be glad, to, 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 to be filled with almost a joy, all right? Fill, deals with the emotion, all right? The, oh, interesting. Uh, oh, there's the idea of being joined, right. Yeah, okay. It's not used in a... It's not used in a rejoicing way, okay. It's not used in a rejoicing way, okay. All right. Now, the last use was Revelation 19. So let's go to Revelation 19. We'll just go ahead and get these two uh, definitions out of the way. Revelation 19, and which verse was it? 19.7, there we go. All right, here we go. And it is this Greek word. You ready? Strong's G21, agaliao. 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 And it's used 11 times, and its definition is properly to jump for joy, to be exceedingly glad, with exceeding joy, rejoice greatly. Um, It's outlined in biblical usage to exult. Rejoice exceedingly, be exceedingly glad. This is really emphasizing the emotional part of it, right? And it's used 11 times, and we could, we, we, we'll, we'll work on some of those references in a little bit. Okay, so basically the first and the last gives us the idea of rejoicing on what God may be doing something tangible for us now. The last usage seems to point to rejoicing on what God may be doing more so in salvation and the hereafter. Both, though, emphasize an emotional response, an emotional response. It's emotion. Now, there's good and bad about emotion, yes? All right? So, I, we're not, we haven't gotten a great picture, but we'll, we'll start working on. So now, let's do this. The first reference was in Exodus. Now, let's go all the way back to the Old Testament, and let's start tracing through, gathering all the references to rejoice, rejoicing, rejoiced, all the different ways we want to start. So let's, after the first one, which was in Exodus, what's the next usage or the next reference? Leviticus 23.40. Let's start now taking a journey and seeing what we find. Do what? Yeah, yeah, definitely we will. Yeah, 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 yeah we'll definitely will. So whenever, whenever we need to, we'll look up different uh, definitions. And we'll start. So what we're going to do is we're going to, in a roundabout way, we're, we're doing a topical method. We're doing it live here, right? We, we're not doing this in the proper way. So what we're going to slowly but surely, here's what we're going to build. Everybody paying attention? We're going to build a list of all the references. And we're going to build a list of all the definitions. Got it? All right. So up, up to you guys to keep track of all of that, all right? Sounds good? All right, Leviticus 23, 40. And you shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. What, what feast, what, what celebration, what is this? Does anybody know what, what's going on here? I think if we go back to verse 34, speak unto the children of Israel, saying the 15th day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles. 
for seven days unto the Lord. Now let's do this. Everyone grab a Bible dictionary. See if you can find an entry for the Feast of Tabernacles. Right, is that the, is that the right, is that, making sure we're on the same page, right? This is where they're supposed to rejoice. They're supposed to rejoice for seven days. This gives me a very much a military vibe here. This this sounds like mandatory fun. But let's find Feast of Tabernacles. Because we want to know what the rejoicing is connected to, right? Okay. Now, this seems like a mandatory rejoicing. But what is the Feast of Tabernacles celebrating? Okay. Okay. All right, so this was to remind them of the time that they lived where? In the wilderness. But it seems to be focused on God's provision. Yes? Would we agree on that? Because it's celebrating the harvest, right? Okay, so it's God's provision. Now, why would you go have them go live, uh, in a sense, in booths for the, is it seven days? I think it's seven days, right? To remind them that when they were in the wilderness, And those temporary dwelling places, who provided for them? God. So the rejoicing here is very much connected to God's provision. Once again, you see where this can get iffy, right? But let's, so what was the verse again? 2340, let's read it again. And you shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Now, it's kind of more of a mandatory thing, which I'm not a big fan of, but this is what they were to do. Now, what we want to do here is, let's go ahead and look up the Hebrew word really quick. Okay, Leviticus 23. Here we go. 40. It's a completely different Hebrew word, all right? So we want to get this down, and you shall rejoice, and it is this Hebrew word. Strong's H, 8,055, Samach, Samach, and second entry, Samach, Samach. Okay, all right, and so there's there's the Hebrew word. It's used 152 times. Now, now we're getting to one that's used frequently, all right? Its definition is... Uh, it's primitive root, probably to brighten up, figuratively, causatively, to make blithe or gleesome, cheer up, to make glad, make joyful, make merry, cause to make, to rejoice, very. Biblical usage, to rejoice, be glad. Once again, we got the idea of being glad, right? That's like a common thing here. It's, it's translated... Um, it's used 152 times, translated rejoice 95 times, glad 45 times, joy 5 times, joyful 2 times, merry 2 times. Again, the Hebrew word is... Strong's H, 8,055, Samach, Samach, and second entry, Samach, Samach. All right, so there we have it. Again, it's the idea of being glad, being glad. So this, is, this once again connects rejoicing to what? Connects rejoicing to God doing something and doing something in what way? 
in a tangible way, in a tangible way. I want you to see that because that is, that is a major issue we're going to have to, we're going to have to deal with, right? As we develop what God says about this topic, we're going to have to deal with this reality because I think this is a major problem, right? Because it's easy to say, hey, you should rejoice in God's provision. That's easy to say when you what? When you, when you have what you need. How many people starve to death every day in this world? Right, so then like, what are you going to tell them? Hey, rejoice in God's provision. Your child's over there starving. To, oh, what? Your child just died of starvation. That, yeah, that's, that, it's, it's, it's always easy when we take these theological concepts and we keep them where? In the nice, comfortable church sitting on the padded pews and we're like, amen, praise God. It's all great. When we remove it from the nice little safe setting of a church into the real world where there's pain, suffering, disease, and people starving to death, you see where it can be in conflict, right? So then we have to at least be able to deal with this reality, all right? And we'll, 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 we'll deal with that more. What's the next reference? Deuteronomy 12.7. We're making fast progress. At this point, we'll be done in five minutes, okay? Here we go. Deuteronomy 12.7. What do we have here? All right. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all that you put your hand unto ye and your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Okay. What do we need to figure out? What in the world is going on? Uh, same Hebrew word. Okay, good. Uh, as the one in Leviticus. All right, good. Shamak, or however you say it. All right, so, okay, good. So we don't have to look up a new definition. All right, so what's the context here? What's the context? Well, let's just go back to verse 1. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given thee to possess. And all the days that you live upon the earth, you shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations wherein the nations which you shall possess serve their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every garden tree. And you shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. You shall hew down the graven image of their gods, destroy the names of them out of that place. Now let's just stop right here. I don't want to have to do this, but we're going to have to talk about this, okay? We're going to have to take a little detour, right? We're going to have to take a little detour because you can't read a verse like that and not talk about what happened this week, Right? In a certain capital building, there was a statue. A satanic statue, a satanic altar. And it was put in the Capitol building. And it was not too far away. They, uh, I think it was Iowa, I think is where it was. Not too far away from a nativity scene. Now the Christians are all down with the nativity scene. They were not so down with the satanic statue. So a governmental representative who's supposedly a Christian, going to stand for God, guess what he did? He tore down the satanic statue. Tore it down. Destroyed it. Destroyed someone else's property, all in the name of Jesus. And saying that he's doing the right thing. He's standing for God. Now, he may quote a verse like the ones we just read, right? 
He may quote a verse that we just read. What would be a problem of quoting that verse to justify what he did to someone's private property? I hope someone here has an answer because that would be bad if I don't have an answer. What would be the problem with quoting that verse to justify going into a Capitol building and tearing down someone's statue? Okay, this is a theocracy, right? And here, this is a theocracy. And God is telling Israel to go in and kill people, okay, which is a a major problem right there, right? To kill people and to do what? Destroy their altars. That does not in any way, shape, or form show up in the New Testament. How do I know it doesn't show up in the New Testament? Because Paul is dealing with paganism uh, at Corinth, right? Does he tell them to go tear anything down, destroy anything, or kill anybody? No. Jesus was dealing with paganism in the time in the Roman culture. Does he tell them to kill, tear down, destroy? No. Clearly, therefore, something dramatically changed between Deuteronomy and even even the time Jesus is walking the earth. Jesus is walking the earth, realizing now they're in a culture. It's no longer a theocracy, is it? It's a pagan led government. And what is Jesus' attitude towards it? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Paul submit to the government. So we do not take these passages and then go into a a building and destroy it. And Christians getting upset because there is a satanic statue in the Capitol building. You know why it's there and whose fault it is? It's the church's fault. Because we want public display of our religion... Well, if you want the public display of Christianity, guess what you have to support then? The public display of all religions. And if you take away their right, all right. And I'm telling you, if I happened to be in that city and saw that 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 got got torn down, I would want to go in and I would tear down the nativity scene. And I would stand with the Satanist because that's just ridiculous that that happened. That's not godly. That's not, you destroyed someone's property. There's nothing Christian about that. Nothing, and Christians are celebrating it and going, yeah. No, there's nothing to celebrate. That's cowardly. That's cowardly and it's not acceptable. There's no rejoicing in that. And I'm tired. I've heard too many Christians celebrating what happened. Tear it down. Tear it down. No, who, are, who do we think we are? And you know why, why that's so prevalent in our culture in 2023? Because of the rise and the infiltration of Christian nationalism and churches all across this country. We're not a theocratic... Let, let me be very clear. If you think you want a theocracy, you're out of your ever-living mind. What happens when a, the, a theocracy gets established? People die. And guess who's a good chance who could die? We could die. Because who's going to control the theocracy? Catholics? Greek Orthodox? Jewish? Muslims? Baptist? We know church history, right? When the Catholics are in charge, who gets persecuted? Protestants. When the Protestants are in charge... Well, everyone gets persecuted, depending on which Protestant group is in charge. If the Lutheran's in charge, not only do Catholics get persecuted, who else? Baptist. 
Does that make sense? So, like, just when you read that, we, we couldn't ignore, we couldn't skip it, all right? We could not skip the talking about it because, man, when I saw that all broken into pieces, I was like, this. And then you read the comments under it, that's right, that's what we should do. And it's like, can you imagine? Get, if, if, an, if a Satanist went in and tore down a nativity scene, Christians would be like, we're being persecuted. <laughs> Everyone hates Christianity. We'd be whining. But we got no problem when we, we take away someone else's rights. It's like Christians wanting to ban books from the library. Well, which book should be banned first? I would go with the Bible. Got some pretty messed up stuff in it. Well, I mean, even if you interpret it right, what happens in Judges to that woman when the men of the city and then they chop her body into pieces? I think I don't think you want a lot of kids reading that, do you? So I'm just saying that like Christians got to man, we've lost our minds. We want to establish a theocracy in this country, and I, it scares me to death. And, and that's what puts me at odds with Christianity. But, but I'm not going to stand with Christians in that nonsense, right? I, I'll stand with the Satanist. I want them to have the right. You want to you know why I want them to have the right? I want rights, right? I want them to have freedom. The freedoms you want are the freedoms you must give. The freedoms you deny are the freedoms you lose, right? So now back to this. But we had to talk about it. There's no way we could read this, all right? So, what's what's the rejoicing then in context with here? Well, the context of the rejoicing here is God giving them the land, right? So, once again, it's it's a tangible blessing given to them. It's much, much more that tangible thing, right? Now, it's based off God's covenant promises, but it's still tangible. So, we're right back to that Rejoicing is connected to tangible things. I'm telling you, that's going to be detrimental in some way, shape, or form. We're going to have to think that through, all right? What's the next ref? And that was the same Hebrew word? All right, good, all right, good. Next, Deuteronomy 12, 12. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, ye and your sons and your daughters and your men servants and your maidservants and the Levite that is within your gate for as much as he hath no part nor inheritance with you. All right. Now, uh, is the same Hebrew word? All right, good, good. I love when they're the same Hebrew words because it makes it quick. And once again, dealing with what? God's bl- tangible blessings dealing with the land. Now, we, we do have to deal with something here. All right, are you ready? Okay, we do have to deal with something. You may want to write this down. Is rejoicing a command? Is rejoicing a command? Do we all answer the affirmative? Yes, right? Even in the, even in the readings today, right? The first Thessalonians, that's spoken as a command, is it not? As an imperative, right? All right, now, this is important. If rejoicing is a command, now, in some ways, I don't like it, because, again, it reminds me of the military where they were like, all right, today we're having a squadron picnic, and you will go. And I'd be like, well, why can't I go home if we're having a picnic, right? And you're going to go, and you're going to have fun. And I'm like, well, that, 
sounds like mandatory fun, and once it becomes mandatory, it's no longer fun, or at least to me, right? That seems like you're telling me what to do, and like, that's no fun, right? So if you, no, yeah, it's no fun, right? So this sounds like mandatory joy. Now, if it's a command, what is the inevitable result of that? We fail. Meaning, simply, because I want you to see this, because the, how many people have ever been church disciplined for not rejoicing? None, right? And once again, let's be honest. The lack of rejoicing or the lack of joy in one's life, if they're not a rejoicing, joyful kind of person, and they seem miserable, complaining all the time, whatever, people may feel like that they're negative, but it's never viewed as what? It's not viewed as a sin. And if it is viewed as a sin, it's viewed as what kind of a sin? A socially acceptable sin. And I want us to see that because we have a major problem in the church with that, right? We got certain sins that we do what with? Crucify him! And in other sins, we have what? Eh. Eh. No big deal. No big deal. And if it is a command, if we go back to our long gospel, that means there's a high probability that we're going to do what? We're not going to do it. So that, that, there's something to realize. Because the, these scriptures are speaking of it in what way? A declarative, dogmatic, imperative. Like, do this. This is what you're, so, when you go into the land, do this. Hey, when it's this, when it's this feast day, you're going to rejoice. How many days? Seven days. It's, it's, it's almost said this is what you're supposed to do. It seems odd. Because you would think at this point, the more the scriptures would not be commanding it, it would be more encouraging it or demonstrating it, but it's becoming more a a very much a law-based thing. And law does not bring rejoicing, let me tell you. So I need, this is kind of going in an odd direction, or maybe we can do one more, one more. Verse 18, same chapter. Where did I put my Bible? Okay, here we go. Same Hebrew word, all right, here we go. Uh, That's Deuteronomy 12, 18. All right, there we go, I see it. But thou must eat them before the Lord thy God in the place where the Lord thy God uh, shall choose, thou and thy son, thy daughter, thy manservant, and thy maidservant, and the Levite that is within thy gates, and thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, and all thou puttest thine hand unto. All right, what are they referring to eating there? Okay, yeah, there's a part of the offerings that they can eat from, and they have to do it where? They got to eat it before the Lord thy God in the place where the Lord thy God shall choose. Right? But so there was a rejoice. Now, once again, this is dealing with what? Probably rejoicing in God's provision. Once again, it's a tangible kind of thing. I don't like that. I want it removed from that as fast as possible, is what I want. All right? The next reference. Deuteronomy 14, 26. We'll read this one, Deuteronomy 14, 26. And thou shalt bestow thy money, that money, for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth, and thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice thou and thine 
household. Once again, this is probably dealing with provision. Probably still dealing with provision. Right? Provision. Same Hebrew word? All right, good. And then, uh, well, yeah, we'll stop right there. We've got to stop right there. So, what have we established? First and last has established the idea that rejoicing seems to, on one hand, deal very much with God's tangible provision in which he does something for us in the here and now. The, the last reference seems to reference God's doing something for us in the hereafter, mainly dealing with salvation to some level, right? Which is good, because if we can connect it there, that's a lot easier to handle, right? It's the tangible ones we're going to have a struggle with. We've looked at uh, how many references so far, total? We've looked at about five. Um, we know we have a long ways to go, but we are, we are establishing some basic principles here. Uh, the Hebrew words basically represent a great amount of emotion, and this is an emotion. This is dealing more with an emotional reaction. We have established that it seems it is a command, so the possibility of sinning in this, which is problematic, um, and yet most of the references, in fact, all the references so far are references to rejoicing and what God does in a tangible way. Now, so far, all of the rejoicing is for whom? Israel, based off God fulfilling a covenant promise made to Israel. All right, so we're not even involved in any of this at this point. All right, this is all Israel so far. All right, everybody got that? Other than the Revelation passage. Yes? Okay, we'll stop there and we'll pick it up in the next hour, all right? Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, we probably need to ask for your forgiveness in our lack of rejoicing. Help us understand it. Help us develop a a better understanding so that we may hopefully develop more of an attitude of rejoicing and rejoicing for the right reasons in the right way. We ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said,